Hello, listeners, and welcome to VoiceOver Work, an audiobook sampler. Where do you listen? Today is June 1st, 2022. In his book, Goodbye Dad, which is half textbook, half recollection, Anthony Carpino shares the hard-won life lessons he learned before and after his father's death. In his book, he shares universal wisdom with a witty, practical, and often heart-rending lens. Thanks for joining us today, and here's the chapter-by-chapter preview of Anthony Carpino's Goodbye Dad. Chapter 1. Denial Before we go any further, I first want to say I am sorry for your loss. If you're reading this book, that inevitably means you, like so many others, are going through a very difficult time. With that being said, I think it's important that the first chapter of this book be on denial. Denial can be defined in many ways, but for this specific situation, we'll focus on how it affects us as a whole. For clarity's sake, here's the brief definition of the word denial that I'm using for the scope of this chapter, refusing to accept the loss of your father. While you may immediately disagree with this claim, I urge you to ask yourself the honest question, do you accept that your father is gone? So many, including myself, would immediately snap back with, of course I do. Unfortunately, it's not always that simple. In the days and weeks after losing my dad, I would tell you or anybody else that I had no denial, no doubt, that my father was gone. Being a realist by nature, I felt as though I typically didn't have trouble deciphering what is true and what's a fabrication, albeit a subconscious one, made up to comfort myself. After all, as a rational person, how could I? Little did I know back then, that I was overestimating my ability to accept the loss until I found myself searching for answers and wondering what to do next. While I can't tell you exactly when I overcame my denial, I can tell you that eventually I did, and you will be able to do the same. It's no secret that we all handle emotions differently, and that goes for denial as much as it does any other feeling. Maybe you're like me and you can tell yourself and others you're fine. You do understand the extent of your loss. The next person may be wondering when they will get the phone call saying that there was a mistake, that their loved one is just fine. If somebody hasn't told you already, there's nothing wrong with that. Following the death of a loved one, and more specifically a father, it's common to have an initial sense of denial. Some recognize this feeling, and some are ignorant of it. Trying to understand why you fall in one of these categories is a waste of time. The questions you should be asking yourself are, am I in denial? And, on a deeper level, am I subconsciously avoiding the truth? The latter will answer the former. We all heal in our own ways. Therefore, the time frame in which it takes one to accept the difficult truth varies. As I've learned, and as I'm sure you will learn as well, the weeks following a loss can be a roller coaster of emotions. Understanding that simple fact puts you in a position to see yourself from a third-person perspective. What do I mean by this? I mean that understanding the emotions you may face, 
or are currently facing now can be the pivotal moment in your journey through and alongside your grief. You can figuratively take a step back, analyze your emotions, actions, and thoughts, and correct them on the spot. For example, just weeks after losing my father, I knew something was off. I didn't know what to feel, and I didn't know how to fix or remedy the situation I was going through. I felt somewhat lost, searching my mind for answers that just weren't there. I started to take note of these emotions and concluded that this, whatever this was, was not like me. It was not me at all. I had been... Chapter 2. Anger Anger is as deceptive an emotion as it is a powerful one, and that's a dangerous combination. Did you know that one definition of anger is a state of temporary insanity? In moments of real, gritty, ugly anger, our vision can waver and distort, our heart rates can increase until our hearts begin to race, palpitating at an uncomfortable and unsustainable speed. Our mouths can run dry, causing a choking sensation as we try unsuccessfully to speak the words that might articulate our current state of overwhelming helplessness and rage. I know that in my moments of anger, I've felt on different occasions waves of either red-hot heat or an icy chill wash over me. In my anger, I've been so fueled with rage and frustration that I convinced myself nothing mattered. I didn't know at the time that these feelings were temporary. In the moment, I thought that they would last forever. And this bleak outlook drove me into a depression, which we'll look at more closely in Chapter 4. I found myself going to the gym at all hours of the night just to be alone, putting myself through miserable workouts as some sort of sick coping mechanism. It was not uncommon for me to stay up all night, go to the gym at 3 a.m., and then go to work at 7 a.m. It sounds insane, I know, and I'm not suggesting you do the same, at least not to the same extreme extent. But it helped me release some of that anger I had, and it was the best I could do with the tools and the knowledge I had available to me at the time. But perhaps even more palpable than the physical symptoms of anger are the psychological ones. Anger makes us lie to ourselves. Because it's such a strong emotion, we mistake it for strength itself. For example, have you ever experienced a romantic rejection and defaulted to anger and cynicism, declaring something like, I didn't want to be with them anyway? Alternatively, perhaps somebody ahead of you in traffic has delayed your journey. In that moment, your irritation paints a mental picture of this other commuter as the incarnation of evil itself, sent to personally inconvenience you, annoy you, and disrupt your day. If you're approaching or already deeply embedded in this stage of your grief, you may be nodding along, signaling your assent as you agree with these words. Of course, when we step back from our anger, we can see it's usually a shield for other more frightening emotional states that in that moment we don't feel ready to acknowledge. Sometimes, even if we do feel ready to acknowledge these states, we don't know how to do so. Let's look at a non-grief-related scenario for a moment just to illustrate my point. For example, you may feel angry 
if you experience a romantic rejection. We don't want to feel the low self-esteem and sadness that can accompany rejection, so we unconsciously transmute those feelings into anger, because anger frames us defiant, powerful, and superior rather than unwanted. And I'm pretty sure nobody on this earth wants to feel unwanted. To revisit my second example, if somebody cuts us off in traffic, it's easier to paint them as idiotic, callous, or oblivious rather than reflecting empathetically on the fact that they, like everybody else, are simply trying to get to their destination. They did not, in fact, wake up this morning with an explicit, deliberate agenda to inconvenience everybody else. Chapter 3. Bargaining One of my strongest intentions in writing this book is to communicate honestly. I won't mislead you or sugarcoat hard truths. In the spirit of that integrity, I'd like to be upfront that while the bargaining stage didn't affect me as severely as the other stages did, or as strongly as it can affect other people, it did still affect me. This is my personal experience with it. Your own experience with bargaining, if you go or are going through this stage, may differ. I don't recall addressing a higher power or asking to switch places with my dad. I knew, logically, that could never happen, so I didn't try. I felt deep down that if my father could hear me, he would laugh at me and tell me to forget about it. <laughs> Very Italian, I know. For others, this exact example literally bargaining with an entity one believes in, may come into play. But for me, I personally felt that there was nothing I could do. I did, however, go through a stage of guilt. I felt like I was slightly responsible for my father's death. To give you some backstory, in the final days before my father's passing, he was under hospice care at our family home. Due to his mental and physical condition, he was administered a lot of medication to minimize his pain as much as possible. As much as I wanted to protect my dad in his vulnerable state, I didn't have the medical knowledge or understanding to dictate what medication he truly needed. I found myself quite literally hovering over the nurse's shoulder as he administered a final dose of pain reduction medication. I remember pressuring the nurse, asking him, if my father really needed the medicine. He, of course, reassured me that it was to take away some of the pain my father was feeling, and I thought, who am I to make my dad suffer any more than he already has? The medicine was administered, and my father passed away that night. For over a year, I carried the weight of that guilt, believing that I'd somehow allowed my father to get taken advantage of and subsequently killed as a result of my medical ignorance, as a result of my unwillingness to challenge the nurse further or even throw him out. To say I went through some dark times would be an understatement. While this may sound silly to you as the reader with the benefit of distance and emotional objectivity, I couldn't help but feel somewhat responsible for his early passing. Thoughts like, you shouldn't have let that nurse give him any more medicine, and you were supposed to protect him, flooded my mind. I couldn't go to my friends or family with these thoughts because I was too ashamed of myself for what I'd done, or rather, what I did not do. 
Looking back on it now, I regret keeping that emotional load all to myself. Quite frankly, it was a lot to deal with alone. I realize now, with the benefit of hindsight, that it was too much. I wish I'd talked to my friends and my family sooner, because once I did, they gave me some much-needed perspective and allowed me to see just how skewed my understanding of how it had all happened was. What did I learn from this? And what can you learn from this? One, in these vulnerable states of emotional turmoil, it's normal to feel like we could have or should have done more. Two, as mentioned in Chapter 4, Depression. This is a tough one to write about and an even tougher one to go through. First and foremost, let me just say that this part of the grieving process was the most difficult of the five for me to overcome. I don't say that to frighten you or to imply that the process will be the same for you. I merely want to bring the fact to your attention to maintain the spirit of transparency and authenticity I'm aiming for with this book. If the combined experiences I shared in the bargaining chapter were like a car crash, then my depression was like a 30-car pileup. Because I was in the military at the time of my father's death, my duties and rank inevitably meant that I would have to leave Philadelphia, where all of my family lived, and return to Florida for work. The separation, the physical distance between my loved ones and me, only added to my sense of isolation. I went from being a very outgoing, active, and social individual to very isolated, lethargic, and quick to anger. I didn't shy away from any confrontation, big or small, because I felt like I had a bone to pick with the world. I distinctly remember staying in my house for months on end, only leaving to get food, work out, and go to work. My sleep schedule was completely ruined. I'd only sleep during the day and remain awake throughout the night. If my friends would ask me to go out for some drinks or to the club, I'd just make up excuses to avoid the situation entirely because even spending time with people I cared about felt like too much effort. My depression got so bad that I even reached the point of praying and wishing for deployments and or patrols to come up just so I would have an excuse to be out of reach of everybody. I enjoyed not having cell service. I enjoyed being 250 miles off the coast of a foreign country in the middle of the ocean. I enjoyed being alone, and I enjoyed forgetting about the issues waiting for me back home. It was bittersweet. While I am happy to say this part of my life is over now, and I have the knowledge, experience, and grounded mental capacity to deal with these issues instead of running from them, I still think it's important to bring them up, just in case there's one person out there going through the same thing. If there's one thing I can tell you about depression, it's that it is a marathon, not a sprint. So pace yourself. That finish line just may be over the horizon. When and why you might experience depression. If you're revisiting this chapter a while after completing the previous chapter, in which we went over bargaining, how, why, and when you might experience it, and what you can do to overcome it. Or, if you're reading the book outside of chronological order, 
and only touching on the sections and chapters relevant to you, which is a perfectly valid way to read this book, and one I encourage, then I think this is a good opportunity to revisit, or for some readers, touch upon for the first time, the when and why of how exactly you might experience the depression stage of grief. Depression usually, but not always, follows the bargaining stage. If you think of anger as heat and bargaining as numbness, then depression is the sometimes frosty cold that follows. It can feel as sharp and brittle as an icicle and just as slippery and unpleasant to the touch. The reason depression usually follows bargaining is that once we leave the bargaining stage, we have begun the road to accept. Chapter 5 Acceptance. Like each of the other grieving processes you'll go through, acceptance has its own set of challenges. As I've said before, these challenges typically differ for everybody, so you should feel free to take what I say with a grain of salt. For starters, acceptance is, in my opinion, one of the grieving processes that never seems to truly end. While, yes, it may subside or transform enough to the point of becoming unrecognizable from your original state of acceptance, you know in the back of your mind that your newfound acceptance will always be a part of you. What do I mean by this, and is that a good or a bad thing? Well, as is often the case with grief and loss, the answer, I'm afraid, isn't a simple one. I mean that even though there comes a point at which you accept and fully internalize the loss of your father— You'll still have those days where you feel an overwhelming sense of sadness, guilt, and heartache because you miss him. This is no different for me. I'm not spared the complications and nuances of grief any more than the next person. At the time of writing this book, it's been roughly six years since I lost my father, and I still find myself isolating from time to time. I will say, though, that I do so in a healthier manner than before. I cope by going on long walks, working out, and even practicing different forms of meditation. No, I don't sit there crisscross applesauce with my pointer finger and thumb touching while my other three fingers are extended. Although, I don't judge, so do what you need to. I do achieve this same feeling of peacefulness by taking the time to pray and talk to my father directly. These prayers can last anywhere from a few minutes to an hour, now, I know that may sound ridiculous, but it has truly helped me over the years, so I'll stick with what's working. However, as I mentioned at the beginning of this book, I will at no point attempt to push my religious practices onto you, because in my eyes, that's something one should discover on their own. I bring this personal experience up to merely offer another solution that could be used or experimented with. Unlike some of the other processes you may go through, acceptance feels a bit more tangible. Now, don't picture acceptance as a finish line you can't wait to cross. Even though it may seem like it's a fixed destination and you feel like you could get to it faster if you just pushed harder, that finish line has a funny way of staying out of your grasp until you have truly experienced and accepted the loss. That day will come. You just have to stop chasing it. Once it does come, though, you will feel it. It is a tangible feeling that I can only describe as a sense of contentment. It feels as though a weight has been lifted from your shoulders. Just as when you may have had a homework assignment, 
task for work or chore hanging over your head for days or weeks, the feeling of completing it removes that thought and allows you to focus on what is ahead. Yes, you may have those bad days or weeks, but I can assure you they're nothing compared to what you've already been through. My acceptance has allowed me to move forward with my life, leaving my guilt, anger, and heartache in the past. I no longer focus on the things I don't have, like my father. Instead, I consciously put even more energy into appreciating the things I still do have, for example, my family. While this is often easier said than done, it has been truly beneficial and a pivotal point in my grieving process. What's up, guys? Welcome back to VoiceOver Work, and audiobook sampler. Where do you listen? Today is the 5th of May, 2022, and today we're going to help you decide if you need to listen to this one. We present today the chapter-by-chapter summary of Anthony Carpino's book, Goodbye, Dad. To preface this book for you, let me read a short section from the introduction. I write this book today with knowledge, experience, and a painful past that's opened my eyes to a new world. In this book, I'll show you how to navigate and overcome the difficult loss you're facing, show you how to avoid the dark path that so many, including myself, have gone down, and most importantly, I'll introduce you to your new self. Chapter 1. Denial Before we go any further, I first want to say I am sorry for your loss. If you're reading this book, that inevitably means you, like so many others, are going through a very difficult time. With that being said, I think it's important that the first chapter of this book be on denial. Denial can be defined in many ways, but for this specific situation, we'll focus on how it affects us as a whole. For clarity's sake, here's the brief definition of the word denial that I'm using for the scope of this chapter, refusing to accept the loss of your father. While you may immediately disagree with this claim, I urge you to ask yourself the honest question, do you accept that your father is gone? So many, including myself, would immediately snap back with, of course I do. Unfortunately, it's not always that simple. In the days and weeks after losing my dad, I would tell you or anybody else that I had no denial, no doubt, that my father was gone. Being a realist by nature, I felt as though I typically didn't have trouble deciphering what is true and what's a fabrication, albeit a subconscious one, made up to comfort myself. After all, as a rational person, how could I? Little did I know back then, that I was overestimating my ability to accept the loss until I found myself searching for answers and wondering what to do next. While I can't tell you exactly when I overcame my denial, I can tell you that eventually I did, and you will be able to do the same. It's no secret that we all handle emotions differently, and that goes for denial as much as it does any other feeling. Maybe you're like me. And you can tell yourself and others you're fine. 
you do understand the extent of your loss. The next person may be wondering when they will get the phone call saying that there was a mistake, that their loved one is just fine. If somebody hasn't told you already, there's nothing wrong with that. Following the death of a loved one, and more specifically a father, it's common to have an initial sense of denial. Some recognize this feeling, and some are ignorant of it. Trying to understand why you fall in one of these categories is a waste of time. The questions you should be asking yourself are, am I in denial? And, on a deeper level, am I subconsciously avoiding the truth? The latter will answer the former. We all heal in our own ways. Therefore, the time frame in which it takes one to accept the difficult truth... to VoiceOver Work, an audiobook sampler. Where do you listen? I'm Russell, founder of Newton Media Group, and today, May 1st, 2022, we'll help you decide if you want to listen to that one. Stick around. About six years ago, our author for this book, Anthony Carpino, lost his father after an extended illness. This book is his recounting of the struggles that he faced the personal demons that he faced down, and lessons that he would like to present to the reader to help them through their time of grief. Thanks for joining us today, and if you're in the right emotional spot for this book, I hope you find some use from Goodbye Dad from Anthony Carpino. As I booked an emergency flight home from Miami to Philadelphia, I knew deep down that it would be the last time I ever saw my father. Like a nightmare come true or some dark premonition, I couldn't have been more right. After soaking up as much time as I could with my father as he lay on his deathbed, it was me that eventually just fell asleep. I woke up to find my mother looking at me with an expression I'd never seen her wear before and one I dearly hope never to see again. Her face told me everything I needed to know before she could even say a word. He was gone. From that day, I would begin a trek on the most difficult journey of my life. I would learn what true anger, fear, loneliness, guilt, and sadness were. I would become so familiar with these emotions that they'd start to feel like the new normal. I would seemingly lose touch with my old self adopting a newfound identity forged the very moment I held my deceased father. Though I was oblivious to the fact at the time, these dark days would impart the most beneficial lessons of my entire life. Brighter days were ahead. However, I just didn't know it yet. I write this book today with knowledge, experience, and a painful past that's opened my eyes to a new world. I was able to harness those emotions and convert them into growth and understanding, which has improved my faith, quality of life, and overall happiness tenfold. In this book, I'll teach you these hard-earned lessons. I'll show you how to navigate and overcome the difficult loss you're facing, show you how to avoid the dark path that so many, including myself, have gone down, and most importantly, I'll introduce you to your new self. Throughout these lessons, I'll tie in my own personal accounts, not to imprint my story onto you, but to give examples 
good and bad, which you can hopefully relate to your situation in some way. This book will show you that you are not alone on your journey. Others out there have traveled and continue to travel this confusing, painful path. Make no mistake about it, I'm not here to push a particular religious faith onto you. I will not assume I know exactly what you're going through, and I will never act as though there's a perfect fix to every situation. Unfortunately, this road you're about to travel down, or are currently traveling down, does not have a shortcut. Everybody handles loss in their own way. With that said, I wrote this book to do my absolute best to help others see those brighter days ahead, just like I have. Allow me to help you. That's this week's episode of VoiceOver Work and Audiobook Sampler. Where do you listen? Don't forget to join us in four days for our next episode. Thanks for listening.